God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when did God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I just had some bad pizza? Jesus said we'd recognise his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com Every time I watch the news and hear reports of another terrorist attack, I find myself feeling helpless on the lounge. Most of us are not politicians, international diplomats or war strategists. How are we to respond to the brutal reports of war and death across the world today? Hi, and welcome to episode 37 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and the founder of the ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. The question is, what is God saying in response to the threat posed by terrorism around the world? What would Jesus say to a terrorist? How are we to respond? Well, there is something that we can do, and this podcast really focuses on that. I trust you'll find it helpful. It's a difficult time, isn't it? I remember when 9-11 happened and it was said that this event changed the world and it's been so true. We constantly turn on our TV sets and we hear these horrible reports, bombs blowing up, suicide attacks, genocide, acts of religious violence. And I often sit in my chair and I think, God, what, what can I do? What's your heart in the midst of this situation? And as followers of Jesus, how do we respond to what we see? Is there anything at all that we can do? So we're going to talk about that this week. We're going to look at what God is saying. The way we're going to do that is by looking at what He has already said, because there is precedence for this time in history. On another occasion, we see similar threats of of persecution and acts of terrorism. This time it wasn't ISIS, it was an entire empire. I'm talking, of course, about the first century, and particularly towards the end of the first century, the Roman Empire was a real source of threat to the early church. Historians tell us that there was an emperor called Domitian at this time, and he was a brutal tyrant, and he didn't like the Christians, and they were under threat of martyrdom. In fact, some of the people had already died there, and others were exiled for their faith. One of them was a church leader by the name of John. And I can imagine if we lived at that time, we'd be asking the same sorts of questions. God, how are we to respond to these horrible threats? How are we to respond to this persecution that's coming against us? What is your heart? And what we see is that God answered their questions. He was a God who spoke back. And we see his answer in the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. I'm not sure if you've read this book of late. It's an unusual book to give it that. But what we see is that that God's heart is to answer the cries of his people. And what he does in the book of Revelation is he gives us a bit of his perspective, what he saw in this situation, what was really going on from his perspective in the heavenlies. And he begins to communicate that to the seven churches. First of all, he speaks to John, the leader. And John is, at the time, he's exiled on the island of Patmos. It's an island off the coast of modern-day Turkey. It was the place where the Romans sent 
prisoners to be punished for their crime. And of course, for John, his crime, his only crime was his faith. And he was sent to the Isle of Patmos. And he received a number of visions, a number of revelations that God spoke to him about. But you know, we have a God who answers our prayers and who wants to address our questions and look to our situations and say, hey, this is how I see things. What God begins to say to them is that even though we see things from an earthly perspective, we see conflict, we see war going on in our world, God has a different vantage point because there is an invisible world that is happening behind the scenes, a spiritual world that influences everything we see in the earthly realm. And when God speaks to his people about how they should respond, what he does is he takes a little peek behind the curtain and he begins to show them what his vantage point is. If you could imagine you're at the theatre and you're in the audience and you can see the stage before you, it's a bit like this. You see the curtains in front of you. But if you were to take a little look behind the curtain, you'd see a whole different scene. There would be so much happening. There would be people moving around, costume changes, props being shifted around. And until that moment when the curtain is called and you see what was happening on stage that whole time, it's a bit like that. God begins to open the curtain that separates the natural world and the spiritual world. And he begins to show the churches, this is what's happening. What you see is earthly conflict. What you see is a war going on between the Romans and the Christians. But what I want to show you is that there is a spiritual world that's happening, that there are spiritual forces at work. And this is going to influence how you are to respond. Now, when we're facing crises in our lives, whatever that might be, whether that's trauma in our families or in our workplace, or things aren't going quite right, the first thing we need to do is do what those churches did and to look to God and say, God, what is your perspective? Give me understanding of what is happening here. And that as God does that, He gives us wisdom to how we can respond and in turn how we can see victory in our lives. Tony Campolo once said that Christianity is the upside down kingdom. That phrase describes it exactly. God does things differently to the way the world does it. He turns things upside down. We see this in the book of Revelation, God's answer to the first century church's questions, how do we respond to the brutal terror that we see around us? And here we see that the key to God's kingdom is not a ferocious, powerful lion, but it's a weak, helpless-looking lamb. It's the exact opposite of what you'd expect. Where the world's kingdoms come with power and wealth and fame, God's kingdom comes with a lamb, one that has given itself for the life of others. See, the Roman Empire of that day was so strong in the face of the church. They ruled a vast territory around the Mediterranean. Their power was invincible. Think about the opening scene in the movie Gladiator with the Roman armies coming together. This was a brutal time and the Roman Empire would conquer people throughout the territory, the greatest empire of the day. It was more than a political system. It was a vast, prosperous economic entity. How were the Christians to respond to the power that was being cast over them, to the way they were feeling so persecuted and so oppressed, what should they do? God said, the key to my kingdom, to my way of doing things, is to follow the way of the Lamb. The Lamb, the one who poured out his love and his life sacrificially, who said to the adulterer, be forgiven, who accepted the one who would betray him, 
who gave his life when others took it. He said to love when you're being hated. He died on a cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God is saying not to return evil with evil, but to love your enemy and to forgive those who hurt you. I can't imagine how difficult this was for the Christians of the Middle East, how hard it was to love the Romans who were cruelly persecuting them. What does it mean for us today? Well, in the same way, God calls us to follow the way of the Lamb, to follow the way of Jesus, to do the opposite of what we would naturally do, to love those who hate us, to forgive those who persecute us. This is the way to overcome evil. Revelation chapter 17 goes on about a war between the enemy, pictured as a many-headed beast fighting against the Lamb, but it says the Lamb triumphs. God's kingdom overcomes. Love conquers evil. The weak becomes strong. Love has more power than hate. This is what God is saying back to the first century church, but also to us today in the midst of a world that's sometimes filled with terrible news reports of pain and suffering and death. God calls us to follow the Lamb. And we began by talking about what was actually happening in the first century, the late first century, where the people of God were facing, in a way, a similar situation to what we're facing today, except it was directly their concern. There were people in their churches who'd been martyred, people who they knew who'd been exiled by the Roman emperor, who was very much persecuting the Christians of the day. And all God's people could see was this powerful empire, this brutal empire who threatened their very lives. And God began to speak to them. He began to show them what was really happening from his perspective. He gave them a peek behind the curtain and he began to show them, this is my perspective. This is what's happening. And what we see revealed is written to us in the book of Revelation. Revelation just means to reveal. God is showing his perspective and what the Christians should do in response. What we see is that behind the scenes of earthly conflict, there was a spiritual battle. The scriptures tell us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, spiritual forces operating behind the scenes. And God particularly speaks about this in the book of Revelation. We see symbolic language being used to describe an enemy. It's a very vivid image of a seven-headed dragon, a beast that's sent to attack, first of all, a pregnant woman with a baby. You might recognize that scene. And then comes against the people of God. Now, the first century readers would have recognized that imagery straight away. They knew that there were seven hills outside of Rome, that it represented the empire, and they were certainly facing a formidable beast of terror in their time. And this is what God says to them. He says, this is how you are to fight. This is a spiritual battle, and because it's spiritual, it needs to be fought with spiritual weapons. And the main one, the answer, of course, is prayer. Prayer is more than just a conversation with God. Prayer is the power in the spiritual kingdom. When we call upon God's forces, when we pray in Jesus' name, and when we use our authority in God's kingdom, we can see evil overcome. 
there's an important scene in the book of Revelation that shows us exactly this. You can find it in chapter 8. And what we see is an angel with a bowl of incense. The angel lights a censer and uses it to light the incense. The smoke then goes up to heaven. Just these wisps of smoke. And then what we see is that it's transformed into thunder and lightning. And it's sent back to the earth and it causes a powerful earthquake. It's a symbolic scene that describes the power of our prayer. When we pray, it's like that incense goes up. It's transformed to defeat the enemy in a powerful way, to make a difference on the earth. You know, sometimes we don't feel our prayers can make a difference, but God is saying that when we pray in His name, we can actually have a say. We can be involved in defeating the forces of evil in the earth. Prayer is more than a conversation. It contains power. When I pray, spiritual activity takes place. When I pray, there's effects in the unseen world. And when I hear about those reports on the TV, when I hear about some of the events that are happening across the planet, some of those acts of evil and violence, God calls us to pray. He calls us to use the spiritual weapons that we've been given to make a difference. It binds the enemy. It brings God's will from heaven to earth. It's a powerful way to help our fellow Christians across the planet. Sometimes we don't feel like our prayers make a difference, but let me share with you a story. In fact, we see God's work at work in many of the testimonies that are coming out of the Middle East. I remember hearing a story recently about a jihadist fighter, and he had learnt that his relatives were being helped in another country, the country of Jordan, from Christians. So he made up his mind to go there and to murder them. And as he was on his way, to this particular meeting of, of Christian aid workers, he had a dream and Jesus revealed himself in the dream. The next day he went to the Christian meeting and he said to them, I came to kill you, but last night I saw Jesus and I want to know what you're teaching. Who is this one who stopped me from killing you? I love that. Because at that point, the missionaries were able to share about their faith and the man's life was completely transformed. See, this is powerful. And this is the way that we can be involved. It's our prayer that makes a difference. We may not be on the ground. We may not be in the midst of all this terror. We can't actually do anything on the ground to help these people. But let me tell you, we can pray. We can pray in the safety of our homes. Every time we hear a news report, every time we're driving in the car and we hear another attack, can I encourage you? Send up the incense. Send up the prayers, the weapons that we've been given for our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers of the powers of this world. And it's prayer that makes all the difference. The book of Revelation offers some understandings about God's perspective on the matter. And one of the most amazing scenes is found in Revelation chapter 7. It shows the people of God coming together and they're dressed in an interesting way. Revelation 7 talks about the white robes that they're all wearing. And what does it mean? These white robes have all been washed in blood. 
of course, their symbolic clothing. You know that anything washed in blood doesn't come out looking white. It's talking about the people of God who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who've been saved and washed by Him, but then people who continue to follow His ways in their lives. They've not only accepted Him as Saviour and Redeemer, but they've chosen to follow His ways, the way of God's kingdom. They chose to live like Jesus did. That means living a life of righteousness. It means taking up their cross and following Jesus. God was asking the first century church to continue to do what Jesus did on the planet. In spite of the persecution, in spite of the violence, He was calling them to heal the sick, lift up the poor, and love everybody, no matter if they're a leper, a tax collector, or a Roman soldier. He was asking them never to compromise, even when the powers of empire came against them, even when they were threatened with death. The amazing thing is, is that we know from history is that the early church did exactly that. There's testimonies of people who continue to follow Jesus in spite of martyrdom, in spite of death. And the church grew, not by the sword, but by a devotion to the Lamb and His ways. We see them clothing themselves with righteous acts of generosity and healing, reaching out to the widows and the orphans, the sick and the lost, such that even the Roman Empire stopped to take notice. Those churches set an amazing example for us to follow today. But what does it mean in the midst of a 21st century lifestyle to follow the Lamb? And what difference does it make in an age of terrorism? I think we need to understand that our acts of love and devotion to Jesus actually have power in the spiritual realm. That every time we choose to follow Jesus' ways in a practical way, we're taking spiritual ground. We have to understand that our acts of love and forgiveness have authority in the spiritual kingdom. It acts differently. This is God's kingdom, and the Lamb is the one who's worthy to overcome. Love overcomes evil. It reverses it. It stops it. So what that means in the midst of my everyday life is that the actions I take on behalf of my family and behalf of my workmates and my friends actually have authority in the spiritual realm that every time I choose to follow Jesus, every time I lift up the poor, every time I forgive someone who's hurt me, every time I do what Jesus did, that this has power in the spiritual world. I remember a number of years ago, God speaking to me about my father. My dad and mum divorced when I was only 16 years old, and I hadn't had much of a relationship with him over the years. And God told me to honour him. God told me to go back and to forgive him and embrace him and to love him. And over the years, I tried to do that. It was often difficult. My father was very much estranged from our family, and it was a difficult topic to talk about. And in the end, you know, my dad never said sorry for the things he did. But God was saying that my response is not dependent on what he did, that the way of Jesus is to forgive. The way of Jesus is to love in the face of evil and that this has power. This has authority in the spiritual realm. We may not be in an African university being held at gunpoint today and being asked about our allegiance to our faith, but we have opportunities in the everyday circumstances of our lives to make choices about whether we follow the Lamb, to follow His ways. And it's a challenge for each 
one of us, but we need to understand that this is what makes a difference in God's kingdom. This is where we find our authority in God, and this is where we combat evil. He also calls his people to send up the incense, where incense is is a symbol of prayer. And our prayers make a difference. They have spiritual authority in the spiritual forces. And that when God's people pray, we can see God move in powerful ways. He also calls us to clothe ourselves in righteous robes. This is a symbol of the acts of the saints, the good things that people do to follow the ways of God in their lives. It's all about how we treat people, how we show the love of Jesus, particularly when things are going wrong. That act of injustice at work, that circumstance that's gone against us, that frustration that we have, God calls us to act in an opposite spirit. He says to show kindness in the face of injustice, to show love when someone hates you. God's ways conquer evil. They're victorious. That when we see that spiritual battle that's depicted in Revelation, where the dragon or the beast goes to make war against the lamb, it's the lamb who overcomes. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes people are the victims of evil. Sometimes when people stand up for their faith, they're still destroyed. What does God say about that? What does God say when we've done the right thing, but it still looks like we lose? You know, sometimes in the churches of the first century, people stood up for their faith and they died anyway. The book of Revelation tells us about the martyrs, the people that held on to their testimony and they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death, it says. What does God say in the midst of that? There's four amazing symbols that God uses to communicate his heart. First of all, the book of Revelation talks about a wedding scene, two parties coming together in unity and in love and in joy. Imagine the very best wedding you've been to and then multiply that over and over. This is the promise that God has for his people, regardless what happens to them on earth. There's a reunion of love that's going to happen, a wonderful celebration where we join the presence of God unbroken forever. That's the promise of his people, no matter what this earth throws at us. The second symbol that's used is a symbol of a new city, a beautiful place, a home where there's no crying or tears or pain. It's a state of perfect harmony and peace, no fear of death. It's not about a political kingdom based on ethnicity, but it's a spiritual kingdom based on love, joy, and peace. This is God's reward for those who follow him. In the midst of the city, there's a third symbol that we see. It's a temple. Remember that for the first century church, the temple, the main place of their worship, the Jerusalem temple, had been destroyed. And suddenly God's people were asking the question, where is God's presence now? And God begins to speak of another temple, a place where God dwells fully. In this temple, there's no artificial lighting and its gates are never shut. You don't have to visit at the right times and any nation can enter, not just the Jews. This is the promise for those who follow him, that they can enjoy the presence of God always. 
the last symbol that we see that God wants to communicate his message through is of a beautiful garden. It's a picture of Eden restored. In the center of the garden, there's a river of life with water that's crystal clear. There's trees that bear fruit every single month and trees that have leaves that are used for healing. This is the ultimate garden, paradise, bliss, beauty, and peace. These are the promises that God has made available for each one of us. He says that no matter what happens on the earth, even when evil seems to overcome, even when people are killed and martyred brutally for their faith, God promises to vindicate. He promises to raise up. He promises to reward. This kingdom we've been invited to enter is like no other. I hope you've enjoyed this series on Jesus versus the terrorists. I encourage you to keep following the Lamb, whatever that means for you in your life right now. Wherever you face evil or injustice or pain, send up the incense, continue to pray and clothe yourself in those righteous acts. Can I encourage you to continue to to pray for the persecuted in the world? Every time you hear one of those news reports, send up your prayers. God, may your spirit conquer evil. It's been great to have your company this week. You can find more resources on how you can have your own God conversation at godconversations.com. But until next time, you're listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. Talk to you again soon. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. Be sure to catch the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click on the subscribe button. While you're there, why not help us to equip others to hear God's voice by rating the series and giving us a review. And remember, Jesus said that we would recognize his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.